Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A 12-year-old member of the KISS Army grows up to become a professional musician and gets to live out his rock and roll fantasy when Paul Stanley invites him and his band to go on tour with him. There are still moments when you're playing with some of these people and while we're playing with Paul Stanley, we start to play Detroit Rock City and he starts to sing it and literally I can remember being 12 years old in my bedroom cranking the friggin' cassette of Detroit Rock City. It is mind-blowing. It is like sometimes you have to just take a step back and realize where you are, what you're doing, and who you're doing it with. Hello and welcome to Sonic Impact. I'm your host, Olivia, with my other host, Dad. That's what they call me. It is the end of 2022, and this is our last episode of Sonic Impact this year. Unbelievable. It's been quite a year for Sonic Impact. Our only year, but a big one. <laughs> well, let's just recap quickly. We premiered in June with Paul McCartney, and here we are, months later, still going. I never thought we'd make it this far, and now we're a kiss. I just need to say a special thank you, first of all, to all of our listeners. We had zero at the beginning of this thing, and now we have like a fair amount of listeners who seem to like the show, and like you especially. Oh, stop it. Yeah, it's true. And I want to also thank all of our guests. We've had a really amazing guests that have done this show when they didn't know what it was and i want to thank all of them i would like to second that gratitude for all of our listeners and all of our guests we would be nothing without you so thank you so much so as we head to the end of the year this is our last episode and we thought before we dive into kiss which is an incredible story with the band leader of the voice paul Merkovich. I thought we'd do a little wrap-up of our favorite music of this year whether it be recordings or live performances. So what would you say were your sonic impact this year? Anytime Billie Eilish releases music, that will be my favorite music. She released two songs this year that were both beautiful songs and really spoke to me at the time that she released them. It's an EP. It's just called Guitar Songs. The songs are called TV. I don't want to talk right now I just want to and the 30th.
I've also talked about this person, but I have to mention her again in the conversation, Artist of the Year, and it is Lizzie McAlpine, who was by far my most listened to Artist of the Year. Her album that came out this year, Five Seconds Flat, Work of Art, Work of Art. I listened to a little of Lizzie, and she's got an incredible voice and beautiful lyrics, and I really like her whole vibe, so good choice. I see lines in the sand, but I don't see who made them. I still listen to that band that you showed me last April. I still play with my food. I'm going to choose one now. I know it's probably a unexpected choice, but Harry Styles put on an awesome album. And this song, Daylight, I just think is like... I have taught you well. One of the great ones of the year. And one other artist, which most people have never heard of, I just discovered it one day on like a Spotify playlist thing. And his name is Fancy Haygood. And this song, Forest, something about this song just really hit me. I'll meet you in the forest. I'll meet you where the wild things grow. And we can go exploring underneath the midnight glow. Just let the darkest of night ease your mind Free your soul Meet you in the forest Let's let this wild thing grow And your last song for the year, what would you say one more that you just love? Vegas by Doja Cat. It just... Got me through some really dark times. Just pumped me up when I really needed it. This is a song that was featured in the Elvis movie and it samples the song Hound Dog. got a great sound very different than what we usually talk about on this podcast so she's very important and she's an icon very talented. just before we get into kiss i want to just talk about quickly a couple concerts that i saw i saw brandy carlisle in concert for the first time at the beach life festival and anybody who doesn't know brandy needs to go listen to brandy immediately the story the joke and many others i think brandy carlisle is one of the best singers in all of music live she blew me away all right how about for you olivia what was the one concert that stuck with you most tough question considering i've had some really big ones this year but i did see billy's hometown encore tour in la just three nights at the forum i went the final night which was her birthday themed night because she turned 21 two days after she brought out some special guests and she sounds better than ever these days I saw that she brought Dave Grohl on to do My Hero for Taylor Hawkins, and that was a really cool version of the two of them together. Oh, my God. Yeah, the clip of that. That was the night before I went, but that clip, so good. Check that out, Billie Eilish with Dave Grohl. All right, so that's 22, but we're going to head back to 1972 
So Olivia, sometimes you don't know the artists and the music that we talk about on this show, but this one, I think you've heard some other tune. Give us a little rendition. I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. I got my lighter out. That was awesome. So Olivia, let's talk about Kiss. Tell us a little backstory on this band. So Kiss is an American rock band that was formed in New York City in 1973. So even though when you think of Kiss, you might picture something pretty outlandish, the guys were just four regular guys from New York. So the band consists of Paul Stanley on vocals and guitar, Gene Simmons on bass, Ace Frehley on lead guitar, and Peter Chris on drums. So something I didn't know is that Paul and Gene are both Jewish, and Gene's mom, Florence, was actually a Holocaust survivor. So other than their music, KISS is very well known for their live performances, and there's a lot that goes into those live performances, including their iconic face makeup and outfits, along with a bunch of stunts, including fire breathing, blood spitting, smoking guitars, shooting rockets, levitating drum kits. So KISS is regarded one of the most influential rock bands of all time because of their look and their style and their live shows obviously but also because of their music they were one of the best-selling bands of all time they have sold more than 100 million records worldwide they also had 30 gold records the most of any band from the u.s this is the thing about kiss critics didn't like them they were sort of not taken seriously because of all their live show antics but at the end of the day they made it the rock and roll hall of fame and they're really one of the most beloved rock and roll bands of all time yeah, it was December 17th, 2013, when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So that's the story behind KISS. But today's guest is Paul Merkovich, who's been the band leader of The Voice for 23 seasons. He's one of the greatest live television musicians and band leaders. And Paul's story takes place much later. This is 2006. Paul Stanley has released his second solo album. And he invites Paul Merkovich to play keyboards and tour with him. This is Kisses Sonic Impact. You try saying that three times fast on Paul Merkovit. Woo! Hey, Paul, welcome to Sonic Impact. How are you? I'm great, Elliot. How are you? Doing fantastic. It's a Friday afternoon. It's a day to talk about great music stories. Usually I start with the guest childhood, but I want to just quickly start with who you are and what you do, because I think it's so important to this story, your role on The Voice. On The Voice, um, we're on season 23, and I've been there since day one, and I have arranged every song on the show for 23 seasons and played every song, and we're up to about 6,000 songs on the show that we've played and I've arranged we played more songs on primetime television than any other band in television history. And that's what I do. Everything that, everything that comes out of the speakers musically, I'm responsible for all of that with the guys in the band. What an incredible accomplishment. And I can't even imagine how joyous to play on TV, be able to do that for a living is pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. You know, I'm, I spent many years touring with different bands, but I prefer this because I never know what's going to happen every day. It's always different songs, even songs that we know really well. Someone will come in and want to change it. You know, you're a musician as well. You know, when you're growing up playing in bands, you create stuff together. Even when they're long hours, when it's a 12-hour day, to be 12 hours in a room with your best friends making music and getting paid for it, 
I can't imagine having more fun with your clothes on. I'm envious and I'm really happy for you because I know as a musician to find that job, to be on television and do it, it must be uh, an extra thrill. So I want to go back to your beginning, your roots about your first musical influences and sort of how you picked up an instrument and where it took you. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, Studio City in Los Angeles. I have fuzzy memories of the very beginning, but from what I've been told, when I was three years old or four years old, I had been sitting watching cartoons and there was always a piano in the house. And supposedly, after I watched a cartoon, I went to the piano and played Casper the Friendly Ghost on the piano. And my mom came in and she was like, you know, this three-year-old little kid is playing Casper the Friendly Ghost, the friendliest ghost, you know. And she didn't understand how was that even possible, you know, right? So they let me just fiddle around the piano for a couple of years. And then they got me lessons when I was, I don't know, five or six, started playing classical music. That's basically what I did from age five till about 15. In the midst of it, I was listening to the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Wonder and, and then playing Chopin and Beethoven. And then when I was, you know, 14, 15, got into high school and these kids I knew want me to play with them, you know, we play little synthesizer lines on the car songs and play Beatles songs and play the keyboard parts on Led Zeppelin. And then they would kick me out when they did the rock and rolly parts. So I'm picking up on the fact that throughout your young life, you're being exposed to so many different types of music. And unlike some people, you're really doing classical, hard rock. That was the building blocks to leading you into this direction. I've never been a musical snob or purist. From the very beginning, I think I've always thought if it's played well and sounds good, it's good music. The listener is what judges whether they like something or not. There's been so many different aspects of my career, like, oh, that's the guy that plays Broadway stuff. And then, oh, that's the guy that plays jazz stuff. And then there was a long period of time. It's like, oh, he's the rock and roll guy. He plays rock and roll keyboards. You know, What was sort of your couple of artists who really influenced who you became? The first record I ever remember hearing was Beatles' The White Album. The Beatles were probably my first major influence. And then for fun, Led Zeppelin and Kiss and ACDC, that was the stuff that really energized me was that heavier rock and roll stuff. So you're playing rock and roll, you're playing all this different kinds of music. What point do you discover Kiss? I discovered Kiss probably when I was like 11, 10, 11, 12, somewhere around there, because I was this, this nice kid that played classical music and I was really smart in school, you know, and listened to rock and roll. And so at 11 or 12, Kiss was huge, obviously, and you could join up to be a member of the Kiss Army. So I sent away my, what was it, $12 or whatever it was that I saved up to be, become a member of the KISS, official member of the KISS Army. They send you the comic book. They send you the armband. They sent you a medallion to wear. You were then officially a member of the KISS Army. The comic book was awesome. And then they would send you like advanced warnings like in the mail, like when they were going to put a record out. So we were all members of the KISS Army, and we all listened to KISS all the time. On Halloween, back in the day, we all tried to dress up like KISS. Back from KISS Alive 2 and Destroyer, and we were all rocking to Detroit Rock City. I mean, that was some good shit. What year was this about when you discovered KISS? 74, 75, 76, somewhere around there. I mean, I think first Kiss Live came out in 75, but I, I won't swear to that. But yeah, they were so larger than life. You know, you, all the kids now watch the Marvel movies. They were a Marvel movie, but they were a Marvel movie in real life all the time. And I remember watching that horrible movie, The Ghost of the, the Amusement Park, whatever it was called. I remember it. And they were on Scooby-Doo and Gene Simmons never missed the opportunity to make a dollar ever. 
Like he's a genius. And build the brand. I mean, yes, making money, but they really like this, the Kiss Army, like literally build an army so you can use that army to follow you everywhere you go. For those who didn't live through that era, there was nothing like Kiss. I mean, now heavy metal in the 80s had makeup and hair and everything, but these guys were in full costume, full makeup, like each had an identifiable character. You never saw them without their makeup. That was a big deal back then. And something spoke to adolescent boys, especially, I think. And how would you encapsulate like what it was about that band musically or from a visual perspective that spoke to you? I think Kiss was an escape and they literally were like superheroes. I mean, you know, they made you like wonder what was going to be possible that any kid, like you could just put on some makeup, become somebody completely different and rock the shit out of stuff and have women throw themselves at you and, and have people applaud for you and think you're the greatest thing in the world. The, the music sometimes was secondary to the fact that of who they were, but I think the music is vastly underrated. If you go back and listen to it now, there's some really hooky, really cool songs. And, you know, it's funny, Paul Stanley, I've spoken and he always says, you know, and I've been to his house, he said, welcome to the house that Bad Reviews built, you know, because it's like they were hated. They were adored by the fans and hated by everybody else. So was Rush. Yeah, exactly. The same, the same kind of thing. And it's like, Either you loved them or hated them. There was no halfway. Nobody was going to go, yeah, I kind of like Kiss. Either they loved them and they were singing Shout Out Loud and Rock and Roll All Night at the top of their lungs, or they were turning the station as quickly as possible. Also, live, they had such an energy. They knew how to rock an arena like nobody at that point with the pyrotechnics and the makeup and the costumes and Gene Simmons with his tongue. It was like a classic rock and roll experience. So when do you see Kiss live for the first time? And take me through that experience a little bit. I know I saw them in high school. I probably didn't see them till like 79. I would have been 15 or 16. I think that was probably the first time that I saw them at the forum. It was pretty godlike. They were a remarkable band to see live back then, you know, because they could really sing. Paul Stanley's a great singer. To my mind then, they were the greatest musicians I'd ever seen. You know, I don't know that I would think that now, but... They were very effective in what they did. The thing that I always that I loved about Kiss that was amazing to me and still amazing to me, you go see a lot of bands and they're kind of too cool for school. And Kiss, it was so fun to watch them play, to be part of it. I, I felt like I was in a community of people that all felt the same way. And that's an amazing thing. You know, at 15 years old to be in a group of, you know, 20,000 people that all feel exactly the same at the same moment is pretty amazing. What was the influence of Kiss's music on you as a performer, as a musician? From a musical standpoint, even then I could recognize that it wasn't the most complex music in the world. But there is a hell of a lot of power in two guitar players on stage playing a power chord while the drummer hits a kick and a crash cymbal and the bass player is holding down the root. That is some powerful shit. One thing it did teach me was there's nothing wrong with simplicity. You know, simplicity is the most direct way to someone's psyche sometimes and a strong hook sung really well is incredibly powerful and the other thing it was again i go back to the too cool for school they were never too cool for school and they were millionaires many times over and they were still having a blast so so one of the main things that taught me as a musician is to appreciate simplicity and directness and the power of a triad and it's an amazing thing 
And it must have made you appreciate the power of being on stage and that you could get girls. Well, there was that. I mean, it, I think I probably saw, you know, the first live boobs that I ever saw at the Kiss show because girls were taking their tops off. I was like, oh my God, what? Really? Listening to this band, seeing them live, would you say was that a big impetus for you to pursue a career in rock and roll? I think Kiss made me think that it was a possibility to be on stage and to have that kind of power in the palm of your hands, basically. That was quite an eye-opener because I knew I knew music, right? But Kiss was the first one that was like, oh, this is a show. He's a front man. This is me having a, an experience of what it's like to have someone put on a show. And that to me, like, I love that. You really hit on something. Someone like Springsteen or Prince or, or Paul Stanley, they knew how to capture the audience and hold on to them and people would go crazy, you know? And the energy of, of that music, of that mid-70s rock and roll thing, it was exciting, it was powerful, and it really just gave you this sort of feeling of flying. And I have to think, thinking about the 80s metal scene, you know, Bon Jovi and Motley Crue, Kiss was really the originator in many ways yeah. for yeah. all of those bands that we got to love in the 80s and all of their craziness. Yeah, incredibly influential. I mean, Motley Crue would not have felt as comfortable putting on the makeup they did and if Kiss hadn't done that 10 years earlier. So at what point do you go from being a wannabe rock star to actually working in the business and becoming a real paid musician. When I was about 22, I, w I got my first tour and it wasn't a rock tour. It was a, it was an R and B tour. I got a tour with a singer named Jeffrey Osborne. And I was the only white guy in the band with a bunch of black folks going out on the road. And then in some session work I was doing, I got on the radar of some rock and roll bands. The first major one that I went on tour with was a band called Nelson. And it was a big hair they were Ricky Nelson's kids, twin sons. And we sold like five, six million records and we went on tour all over the world. That was my first real like rock and roll tour. From there, I got hooked up with Whitesnake and did a couple years with them. So being a keyboard player who could play multiple parts at once and sing really well, I was, I was in demand. So I want to get to the climax of our story. At some point, your life intersects with Paul Stanley. Tell us about that. Well, we did uh, Rockstar. The first season was the In Excess, finding a singer for In Excess. The second season was finding a singer for um, a super group that was constructed of Tommy Lee and Gilby Clark and Jason Newstead. I love this show. It was one of my favorite competition or any reality shows. The music was so great. You guys were amazing. And just the concept. I love that show. I still hold that it was the best music show in the history of television, at least a rock and roll show anyway. There has been nothing to touch it. Because we would play, nowadays on, on the competition shows, you've got to play 90 seconds or two minutes. We were playing five, six-minute songs with full guitar solos and the whole thing on primetime television. So I did a couple seasons of that. And in that time, I was able to build a band that was a great rock and roll band. It wasn't bullshit. Like We played real rock and roll on the show, and we really dug in deep. And... You know, it didn't matter if we were playing Duran Duran or if we were playing Nirvana or if we were playing whatever song we were playing. It was the greatest song in the world when we were playing it. We were having a blast. And that's where uh, Paul Stanley found us was on that show. I think as we were concluding the 2005, the second season, I get this random phone call from Doc McGee, who's Kiss's manager. And he said, Paul, I'd like to talk to you about maybe uh, working with him on a tour. You know, I'm, of course, I keep it cool. I'm like, yeah, sure. In my head, I'm going, holy fuck. 
Are you fucking kidding me? And because he's a huge fan of the show. He loved the band in particular on the Rockstar show. He was going to go out on a tour for his Live to Win record. And uh, he wanted us to be his band. Had you ever met Paul before? Or was this the first time you were ever going to come in no. contact with your one of your musical heroes? I had never met Paul before. I had never met any of the guys. So no, it came totally out of the blue. And it came totally from Paul thinking if there's anybody, any band that could come in and learn my material and kick its ass in you know a couple weeks' time, it would be these guys. So I mentioned it to the other guys in the band and everybody practically shit themselves. The other thing is my um, one of my the guitar player, Rafael Morera, who was in the Rockstar band, was a huge Ace Freely fan. And the other guys in the band had all listened to Kiss and all were fans, you know? So I didn't expect anybody to say no. Everybody was like, fuck yeah. Did Paul know that 15-year-old Paul was like obsessed with this band? Did that come up early on? I don't know that I said it to him in the first conversation on the phone. I did tell him I was a fan, but I think probably the first or second day in rehearsal, I had to tell him, I said, listen. And I think at that point I had my Kiss Army stuff somewhere. I think I like pulled out the comic book, brought it to rehearsal and showed it to him. I was like, this is where I was when I was 12. <laughs> you know, he said, thank you for the $12. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have to stop because this always kills me at this moment. You spend your life worshiping these guys and then you f- lucky enough to meet them what's going through your brain like my 15 year old self is now sitting here with paul stanley talking about going on tour with him replacing mm. his band kiss it's happened so many times in my in my life where i find myself sitting at a bar with roger daltrey having a drink or i'm talking to robert plant backstage at a white snake show and or I'm sitting with, in rehearsal with Paul Stanley at lunch, having a friggin' burger, just shooting the shit. And it's like, I tell you what, it never, ever gets old. There are still moments when you're playing with some of these people. And where we're playing with Paul Stanley, we start to play Detroit Rock City. And he starts to sing it. And literally, I can remember being 12 years old in my bedroom, cranking the friggin' cassette of Detroit Rock City. It is mind-blowing. It is like sometimes you have to just take a step back and realize where you are, what you're doing, and who you're doing it with. And, you know, I've been incredibly fortunate to play with so many people that I've idolized over the years and iconic people. That one in particular probably hit really close to home because of how far back it went. 12 years old, Kiss Army member, to Paul Stanley asking me what a chord is on a song that he's played a thousand times or asking me like, a song he wrote like is this is this right well yeah you wrote the fucking song you know it's right what are you asking me for (laughs) so what happens next the experience of going on tour with paul stanley what year was this and how long were you on tour with him and what was that experience like this is 2005 right after the second season of rockstar ended it was a pet project for him and he wanted to do something a little different and i think he just wanted the energy of playing with some different folks He's a seeker in that sense. He's a curious guy and he wants to do some different stuff. So he'd done kiss, 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 kiss for a really long time and he wanted to do something different. So we did a full run of the States for about two, three months. And then we went to Australia and did three weeks there. It wasn't a really long tour, but I've talked to a lot of people who said that it was one of the best things he's ever done. Like it was pretty amazing. There's a a DVD we did of it in Chicago at the House of Blues that is really, really good. It's really, really good. You must have so many pinch me moments where you're just out of body going, 
oh my God, looking over, I'm actually on stage playing Kiss songs with Paul Stanley. I mean, is that intimidating? Is it just mind-blowing? It's intimidating maybe the first 10 minutes you meet somebody. Athletes always say, like when they go to the Super Bowl or whatever, or they go to the big game, they're nervous for the first 10 minutes and then they just play. You know, I think it's the same kind of thing. You know, I mean, we had the advantage of he asked us to come play. We didn't try out for him. He asked us to come play for him. So the first day of rehearsal, you know, I prepare meticulously, as does everybody else in my band. So we knew our shit when we walked in. He was taken aback by how quickly we were able to play all the stuff, all the music. Like, I mean, we could have done it the first day, but we did it two days. We were playing the entire set front to back. For the first few minutes, you're like, this is going to be okay. How? And then you have to, you don't know the person. So how is he? Is he going to be cool? Is he going to be a dick? Is he going to like fuck with his monitors the whole time and not know what he's doing? Or is he just going to be like, whatever, let's go. Well, it turned out, you know, he was a little bit of both. And I don't mean he was a dick because he was never a dick, but he, he was incredibly particular about what his sound was, which he wanted to get to a certain place. And then he was like, okay, let's let it rip. And once he was like, let's let it rip, that's how we all were. And we played the shit out of his songs. And I tell you, the, the moment to me, I keep going back to Detroit Rock City because that was always the one for me. You know, his record was really cool. There was some great music on his record and it was really fun to play Live to Win at the top of the show and kick his ass and everybody was like losing their mind. And then we get into Detroit Rock City and, he, you know, it's funny, even though I'm not a guitar player and I'm playing the keyboards, when they start doing that, that guitar solo with three guitar players on the stage doing that shit, it was Fucking awesome. Awesome. Love it. Are there a couple of other memories that you take away from that time with Paul on the road? Just rock star memories, anything fun? First off, I couldn't imagine a cooler dude to hang out with and go on the road with. You know, it's funny, like it's now 2022. I still get texts from him occasionally. Like, how you doing? You know, I haven't played with him since 2005, but he'll still like every now and then just out of the blue, like he'll see something on the show in the voice and he'll just text, oh, that sounded great tonight. Who does that? Nobody does that. But he's an amazing dude. And and, and actually a couple of the other guys on the uh, got to be even closer to him than I did and talked to him quite often. And I mentioned the story before, one of the, one of the most amazing things that happened, we were getting ready for the tour right around Halloween. So we're in rehearsal and we have this party to go to. And my wife said she wants to meet with Donna. So she's going to got the wedding dress and the whole thing. And I went, okay, well, I'll be Paul Stanley. So I go to Paul and I say, hey, Paul, I'm going to be you for Halloween. Can you help me with my makeup? And so he brought his entire makeup kit to rehearsal on Halloween day, right? And we did our rehearsal. And at the end of rehearsal, I sat there and Paul Stanley did Paul Stanley makeup on me. He said, I've, you're the only person I've ever done this on. He said he was having a trouble with some of the lines because he's only ever done it on himself. And he said, I was the only person he'd ever done that on other than his own face. I went to the, to the Halloween party as Paul Stanley and people were like, oh my God, because it was perfect. I bet. Not only am I here as Paul Stanley, he actually, he did my makeup. <laughs> so did he always do his own makeup anyway? Was that sort of the thing? Yeah. Yeah. He, no one else has ever done his, his makeup. He always does it himself. In fact, I think all the guys do it themselves because when they started, they had to do it themselves and because they couldn't afford anybody. And I know Gene and Paul have always done their own. So were there any rock and roll moments on that tour or is this point Paul's more settled down? There's not the sex, drugs and rock and roll that everyone was in the 70s. It was pretty tame. I mean, he, he was older. We were all all already in our late 30s, early 40s, you know, by that point. So we, it wasn't quite 
let's get all the groupies naked. I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't that going on, but I mean, you know, girls still flash their boobs every, all the time. And the other thing is you said sex, drugs and rock and roll. Kiss never did drugs. At least, at least Paul and Gene were never, they never did drugs. I know the other guys had some issues with it, but Paul and Gene never had any problems with drugs. I don't think I told you this, but I worked with them about their amateur football team down in Orange County, I think. I spent some time with Gene and Paul and got to know sort of like a different side of them, business side. Gene is funny. Gene actually came to one of our shows and came back. And first thing he said to me was, hi, I'm Gene Simmons. Aren't you excited to meet me? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, sure. But he, um, he, he was like, you guys are great, but you'll never play it like me. <laughs> Every time I mentioned that I was married, he would say, I'm not familiar with that word. He is a classic. I always end these interviews with the million dollar question. How would you sum up the influence of Kiss and in this case, Paul Stanley on your life, on your musical career and how you ended up where you were on The Voice? One, every song you play, you need to treat like it's the greatest song in the world while you're playing it. And that's what I always saw with them. Two is you're never cooler than the music that you're playing. And three, people want to see a show. So don't shortchange them by thinking you're too cool to give them a show. That's it. And any sort of final words at this point after this whole journey about the KISS experience and the fact that you got to play on stage with the guy that who you grew up idolizing on some level and then he does your makeup, like that's sort of unheard of. One of the coolest things, other than the, just the experience of playing with him and playing with that band. Uh, I mean, I loved that band from Rockstar. And I loved being able to take that on the road and play with someone who was a rock star, not just an average singer, but a rock star. It was a once in a lifetime amazing thing. The other thing that was so cool was that someone that you grew up listening to your whole life could turn out to be one of the coolest people I've ever worked with. Like that to me was so validating and so just like, yeah, you can be a cool dude and play music and you don't have to be an asshole. And you could, he is seriously one of the greatest dudes you'll ever, you'll ever talk to. It's so nice to hear that because so many rock and rollers we think of probably aren't that. You know, they have huge egos, they have huge careers, probably jaded. But it's great to hear that you didn't leave the experience going, oh, I can't, I can't believe I worked with that dude. And the last thing I'll say too is that he delivered. We were a great band at the height of our powers as a band. You know, we were really strong. And he was, he was right there with us. He, he nailed that shit every single night. Great singer. Last question I asked to all my guests, top five Kiss songs, which ones that really speak to you after all these years? Well, I keep coming back to Detroit Rock City. That's probably number one. You gotta lose your mind, Detroit Rock City. Get up, everybody's gonna move Shout out loud. I want to rock and roll all night. And Beth, I know that's silly, but I, loved, I always loved that song. When I was a kid, I loved that song. If I hear you calling, but I can't come home right now. Paul, this has been incredible. I mean, I, I'm so impressed with your career, obviously, as the band leader of The Voice and all these great bands you've played with, and you're an amazing musician. And I really appreciate you sharing the story. I love hearing these stories when people get to meet their idols, but when they play with them, it's a whole other level. So thanks for sharing with us and being on Sonic Impact. My pleasure. I hope people enjoy it. Thanks for having me.
So Olivia, I think that Paul's story is the most epic one we've had because he actually toured one of the all-time great rock and rollers, Paul Stanley. You know, his life on The Voice, think about that, 6,000 songs, this guy has played with everybody. But what makes this story so special is it wasn't just playing with Kiss, it was his musical heroes when he was 12 years old. He was part of the Kiss Army. We all sit in front of the mirror playing air guitar with our fake microphone, dreaming about playing with a famous band. This guy lived it. It reminds me of like wanting to be a famous sports player, and then you are, and then you get to play on your fake team. Like He made it already by being able to tour with the lead singer of Kiss, but his personal connection to it definitely made it all the more special yeah i could tell when you were interviewing him you were kind of just like were you okay <laughs> like how did you were you not shitting yourself every single night and i still would like to know because he sort of explained how you sort of get used to it but you've got to just like have moments where you're like holy shit how did i get here and like you just flash back to your 12 year old self well the only comparison i could make to understand what it's like to play with someone famous. I played Stop Dragging My Heart Around with Jewel at a special event, which was wild. And I was so nervous. It's an out-of-body experience. And so for Paul, who has played with everybody, and he's probably used to it by now, but I have to think even for him, this moment of touring with one of your rock idols, he had to felt like, I've really made it. Yeah, definitely. And his career in general is absolutely amazing. He is just so talented. And I mean, that's a good point. You wouldn't be hired by Paul Stanley unless you were an incredible musician. You wouldn't be on every season of The Voice leading that band unless you're really one of the best in the business. And obviously, Paul is. And so I'm so appreciative that he did our show and told us this story. We've had so many great stories on the show and amazing guests. But this is our first professional musician. It takes this concept of Sonic Impact to another level. Thank you, Paul, for being guest on Sonic Impact. It's an honor. And also, I was thinking that it's so funny that you're both named Paul. That was sort of fun. Paul, Paul, this is Paul. Did that get confusing on tour? You should have asked him that. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't ask him. Well, you, now you've asked him. But I want to talk now, Olivia, about my favorite moment in this entire story, the makeup. When Paul tells Paul he's going to go as him for Halloween, and then Paul Stanley says, I'll do your makeup. And he's never done anyone's makeup ever before. That must have been like when Paul Murkovich went to his party with Paul having done his makeup. Can you imagine the reaction people must have had? <laughs> if that were me, I would be so excited to be like, yeah, he's done um, Paul Stanley himself. He'd never done it before. That's insane. I think that speaks to... The fact that they must have had a pretty close relationship that Paul was willing to do his makeup for the very first time. Well, clearly Paul Stanley respected Paul Murkovich as a musician and to have him tour with him for a long period of time. I think that really speaks to who Paul Murkovich is and how talented he is as a musician and a band leader. Yeah, and it was also so great to hear about how Paul Stanley's such a nice guy and texts him. It's very refreshing to hear about rock stars not being all caught up in that. Yes. That's for like that image of a big rock and roller, like your tough guy, you know, and you're on stage with your tough guy sort of image. And it's great to hear that he, he's just a really, he's just a really nice guy. I imagine that could give people some power trips. I would think so. 
I have to mention quickly that one of the songs that Paul talked about for his top five was Beth. It's that classic Kiss ballad, which everyone knew. Beth. And it was the drummer, Peter Chris, who sang the song. And Olivia, you have a little history with Beth, right? I didn't think I knew the song. My dad was like, do you know Beth? And I was like, no. And then he played it for me. And I was like, oh my God, of course I know Beth. Because I know it from Glee. Ah, there you go. The new generation's picking up great old rock and roll songs from Glee. Better than not. Well, that will wrap up not only this episode of KISS, it'll wrap up this year. It'll wrap up our first year of Sonic Impact. We can't thank you all enough for sticking with us, coming back from multiple episodes. Olivia, I want to wish you a happy new year, a brighter 23. The highlight for me this past year has been doing Sonic Impact with you. Thank you for being an amazing co-host and an even better daughter. Oh, Sonic Impact has definitely been a highlight of my year. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. Have a safe and happy holidays. Bye, everyone. Deuces. Peace out. See you later. Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the city of angels. My IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid. Electric acid.